Uh, my name is Paul Porter. I'm the youth pastor here. And I don't know, I don't know if Rex is, I don't think Rex is in the audience, so maybe I can do a little bit, a little bit different stuff today. We'll see. Um, as they say, you know, when the cat's gone, you know, the mice come out to play. And so, um, we'll do a little bit of that today, but I will do my best to hopefully get us out here so we can beat the Baptist to lunch. That's always the, the fun thing. I have a Baptist tradition, so it's always a joke. Um, but every year when I get the opportunity to come up here and preach on graduation Sunday, I always ask myself the question like months in advance, man, what do I want to preach on? You know, I get once, maybe twice a year up here. Don't want to mess it up or screw it up. You know, I really want to do well, but also it's really about God. What do you want to tell our people? What do you want me to say to our graduates who are commissioning off either to college or to work or even post-college? What do you want to tell our people, God? And so, as I was reflecting, you know, past several weeks, past several months, we've been in our series, Adventures in the Bible, A Journey Through God's Story, where we've been talking about different stories from the Old Testament. And we started, I think, back in the fall, I preached on the creation story. And then last week, Rex was talking about Samuel. And I know starting next week, we're going to be starting a summer series in the book of James, and so I'm like, well, what should I do? And I was like, well, you know, there can't be any harm preaching what comes in between the Old and New Testament. So today we're going to focus on Jesus and the gospel. But before you t- tune me out, before you tune me out and take a nap, because I know we've heard about Jesus and the gospel all the time in here, that I really want you to think that, that the way I want to frame the discussion about Jesus and the gospel, it, hopefully it will be fresh, it will be new. Um, but also it is 100% applicable to every single person in this room today, whether you are a veteran follower of Christ, a young follower of Christ, a graduating follower of Christ, or someone who's seeking to know who this Jesus is and what is this gospel that these Christians keep on talking about. And so, but before I dive into the specific message I want to preach today, I'll give you a little bit, I guess, of personal information. So, if you don't know who I am, if throughout the message you hear some twangs or something that, you know, you, you find out I'm not from these parts. You know, I'm from Texas, born and raised, and I moved here a few years ago to take the job as youth, pa- youth pastor here. But one of the weird things is that I love college football, and everyone always asks me, what team do you cheer for? You know, which Texas team do you cheer for? I'm like, well, I mean, I'll cheer the Texas teams when in certain situations, but for whatever reason... I'm a Texas guy who lives in Ohio, but cheers for Iowa State. I know it makes no sense. You can talk about me about that later. But one of the players uh, from Iowa State, their football team, he said a statement um, after they beat the University of Texas last year. He said a statement that really resounded with me. And I think this will be a good seed to plant for the rest of our message. And so Brees Hall said this after they beat the University of Texas. He says... It's a five-star culture versus five-star players. And so, if you know a little bit about, I mean, so University of Texas, it's the largest university in the United States. Very nice facilities, great grounds for recruiting, great talent, and they have everything at their disposal. But if you think about Iowa State, if someone asks you, well, where are you going to go to college? Well, I'm going to go to Ames, Iowa. No one ever thinks about that, right? You know, and so... You have two completely different colleges, two completely different universities with different resources. But 
Brees Hall makes an example and says, look, what we have here at Iowa State, it's not about the talent. It's not about the facilities. It's not about the high-paid coaches. It's all about develop, creating and cultivating a culture that is aimed to accomplish specific goals as a team. And so leading into what I want to talk about today, I want to focus on what I would just say or call gospel culture. Gospel culture. So what do I mean by gospel culture? Well, hopefully after this message today, you will have a better idea of what I'm trying to focus and talk about. And so if you do happen to have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 1, whether it's your handheld Bible, Bible app, uh, Kindle, iPad. It's always good to have your scriptures in front of you. Uh, The Bible is the standard for Christian faith and practice. And so as you're turning there, so I'll give you a preface into what we're going to talk about gospel culture. So one of the things is if you follow social media or YouTube or hear things on the radio or even have common conversations, every time you hear the C word culture, it's usually negative. It's like, ugh, culture this, culture that. Here's what's going on out there. Don't like this. Ugh, hate that. And so there's always this negativity that's attached to this word culture to where it almost seems like it's like a bad word. Now, as Christians, I would challenge you, as followers of Jesus, I would challenge you to probably change that mindset. Culture within itself, culture, is really just a neutral word. Now, when we say culture, we always have to ask the question, what is conditioning the culture? What is leading the culture? Or you can say, who is leading or conditioning the culture? And then that actually produces what the culture actually is and what it becomes. And so the first thing I'll just put, put flat out out there is that as followers of Jesus, we have to, if we truly believe in a living God, then any kind of culture can be changed, can be transformed into what God wants. And so we have a great, awesome God. We have a great, awesome gospel And guess what? We, as the church, we can have a gospel culture that's all about Jesus. Now, why do I really want to focus on this this concept of a gospel culture? Well, my conviction is that most of our American churches do not have a gospel culture or have nothing close to a gospel culture. And let me give you a statistic that I think is very relevant for age today. So stats show that in evangelical churches, like this one here, 90% of kids will make a, quote-unquote, a decision to follow Jesus by the age of 18. 90%. That's really good, right? We should pat ourselves on the back? Not so fast. Of that 90%, do you know how many actually have the signs and marks of a follower of Jesus by the age of 35? 22%. 22%. So how do we go from 90% to 22%? I'm utterly convinced is that we we do not, as a whole, in in our American churches, have a gospel culture at all. We have this culture of maybe going to church. Maybe a culture of this is how I go to heaven or how to get saved or how I do good deeds 
or maybe even some kind of social work, social justice kind of stuff. But we miss the gospel. We miss Jesus. Church, we have no excuse to whine or complain about the culture out there if the culture within here does not match what we see in the scriptures. If it, does not, if it does not match and correspond to the power of God's spirit. And we'll look into that today on what does a gospel culture look like. What do we mean by this so-called gospel culture? And so in Mark chapter 1, um, before I talk about that, just a Bible study tip. When you open your New Testament, you have, there's four gospels. You have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And each one of these authors, they're giving their version of the Jesus story, of the gospel. And so today when we're looking in the gospel of Mark, we have to ask ourselves the question, what is Mark trying to tell us about Jesus? What is Mark trying to tell or show or demonstrate about Jesus, his teachings, his way, and even more so, who he really is? And so we're going to look at Mark 1.1. And Mark writes, Mark writes this. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And we'll pause there for a second. I know it just seems like a very simple introductory sentence, but there's actually tons of meaning that's packed within this one sentence. And I think it's very important for us to go over this bit of information because we have no shot of having a gospel culture within our church walls and within our homes if we have no clue what the gospel is and we don't know who Jesus is and we don't know what it means to follow Jesus. And in fact, if you go out into the public arena today, if you were to ask someone, do you believe in God? You had 10 people and you say, do you believe in God? They'll all say, yeah, we do. But they all have 10 different definitions of what it means to believe in God. Or do you believe in Jesus? Ten people line up. Yeah, yes, 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 yes. Ask them what you mean by that. There'll be ten completely different answers. And even with the word the gospel. What is the gospel? You have ten people lined up. They'll say, yeah, we believe the gospel, gospel, gospel. But they're all completely, radically different definitions of what the gospel really is. And so like I have just said a while ago, church, we have no shot. No shot of the outside world being transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. If it's, if it's not transformed in here, and will be no transformation in here, if we do not know the gospel ourselves. And so, the word gospel literally means good news, glad tidings. But if you go back in the time period which Mark is writing, when he says the word gospel, his audience would have thought, something big's about to happen. There's the so-called good news that someone is about to take a position of rule and authority. And in fact, in the Roman Greco uh, culture, gospel is actually sort of like a political term that was in relation to the emperor. So it was always about a royalty, someone's about to take rule or authority. So Mark says, here's the beginning of the gospel, and guess who is it about? Jesus Christ. Oh, yeah, we all know about that, right? Well, Christ is not Jesus' last name, just for clarification. If you did not know that, it's okay. That's why we're talking about today. So Christ... Is the Greek word Christos? It is just means literally means rubbed with oil or anointed one. Uh, and the other word is Messiah. So we're talking. So we're, so they say Jesus Christ because it's a designation for which Jesus are we talking about? Jesus was a very common name in that time in, in that time period. 
So we're saying, well, here's this Jesus, and this is the one that is the Christ, the anointed one. But one thing further I want to say is this. When you open your Bibles and you read your English translations, it, you know, if it says Christ or Messiah, that meant a specific idea to Jews at that time period. Different Jews, uh, the Jews had different, uh, for, uh, I guess, ideas about what this Messiah, this Christ, this anointed one would be like. But one of the things that they did think about was that this Christ, this Messiah, would be an end times ruler. Or someone with authority in which God, Yahweh, has anointed to take rule, to take control, to take reign. And so that's the thought that they would have. And in fact, just because, hey, we're not, none of us grew, grew up in a Jewish background back 2,000 years ago or Greeks back then. We live in American context. And so if you read your Bible and you see Christ or Messiah, probably the best English word to have in your mind is king. King is probably the best word to uh, have the gravity of what they would have thought. So this is the beginning of the gospel. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Son of God, just in reference to Jesus, has a specific and special relationship with Yahweh, or we would say as Christians, God the Father. Now moving on to Mark chapter, or verses 2 through 13. I'm just going to summarize this right quick. So Mark... Right, so here's the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and guess what? Actually, the prophets in the Old Testament, which we've been going through some of the stuff, in which the prophets, God gave them a message, and they're saying, hey, before the Messiah, before this Christ comes, there will be a messenger that will prepare the way for his coming. And Mark said, hey, that, this is John the Baptist, John the Baptizer. And so he goes around preaching, repent, the kingdom of God is near. Uh, repent for your sins, get baptized. And then, then John the Baptist at the end says, Though I will baptize you with water, there was one who follows who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit or God's Spirit. And then from there, Mark moves on to verse 14, which we'll read and put up on the screen. So uh, verse 14, Mark says this, writes this. Now after John... I'm talking about John the Baptist. Now John, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Now what's interesting when you read this passage like if you're if you've you know if you've been in America or maybe of our American churches, if if someone wants to tell you, well, here's the gospel, we always hear, hey, you know, Jesus came, he died on the cross for our sins, he rose from the dead, you know, because he's alive, those who give their life to him, you're alive as well, and that's pretty much that's pretty much a summary of the gospel that we normally hear in our American churches, which all that information is correct, by the way, good information, that's correct. But when you read this, you realize, wait a second. Jesus here, Mark says Jesus is preaching, proclaiming the gospel of God. But Jesus hasn't died on the cross yet. He hasn't risen from the dead. How is he preaching the gospel? This is where we need to have a little bit of a shift in our understanding of the gospel. That the gospel, yes, it includes Jesus dying on the cross. It includes the resurrection of the dead. But the gospel of God is way bigger Way grander, way more majestic than just simply Jesus dying and Jesus rising. Because he's saying, 
I'm preaching the gospel of God. So it has to be way more than that. And Jesus emphasizes this. Like said, the time is fulfilled. The time's up. And the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel, in this good news. Now, what is this specifically this good news that he's trying to put out there? And this is actually what all of the gospel writers do. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they give you the story of Jesus of how uh, from uh, chapter 1 all the way to the end. They're trying to get across a specific point, and we'll go through that the rest of our message. But here's the thing. So we think of kingdom of God, we need to think this. For there to be a kingdom, there must be a king. So every Jew in that time period, they always, they always thought Yahweh is king, which means Yahweh rules, Yahweh reigns, he is in control. And so in the gospel of Jesus Christ, the emphasis is this. Jesus is the one whom God has anointed to be king. Think about it. So when we're thinking Christ, Messiah, we got to think king. So Yahweh is anointed specifically Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, born in Bethlehem, um, from Nazareth. He walked and talked. This guy, this specific Jesus, very specific Jesus, he's the one who's been anointed by God to be king. Very important. Move on to the next one right here. So in verse 16, Mark writes, writes this. One day, as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, Come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. Now, what's interesting about this passage is that you know, it seems very normal. Hey, Jesus came. He's talking to these guys. They become his disciples. He says, follow me. Now, what's some interesting, very powerful details when you actually look at the historical context of this? This, this actually is a direct challenge for those who think Jesus is just some dude. Jesus is not just some dude. So, back in the time there were, when Jesus was walking and talking, they're trying to figure out who is this Jesus? Who does he think he is? What is this guy all about? So all the prophets in the Old Testament, they always would say, hey, pay attention, follow God. But what does Jesus say? He says, follow me. So Jesus is not like the, like the prophets they knew. He's also not like the teachers that they knew. All the rabbis of the time period, they never actually went out to go fetch people to, become, to get followers. They're like, here's my teachings. And people are, I like that teacher, I like that teacher. So they'll go follow them. But Jesus actually goes after people and says, come follow me. He's after, to get, he's after people. No, no rabbi did that. We have no evidence of this. So he's not just like the normal teachers of the time period. And then even the scribes. The scribes, there would be the experts of reading the scriptures. And they would take their Jewish scriptures and say, ah, here's what's important. You need to know, learn this and know this. Go to the scriptures. Jesus would go to the scriptures, but he also would say things Purely on his authority saying, I say this. I tell you to do this. So for the person who thinks that Jesus is just some dude, I can tell you this. Mark is communicating, no, he's not. He's not just, just he's a prophet, but eh, kind of. Is he a teacher? Yeah, but not like the other teachers. 
Is he a really smart guy who knows the scriptures? He does, but he actually says things based on his own authority. Own authority. So Jesus is a one-of-a-kind individual, and the evidence is quite obvious. Now, if Mark is trying to proclaim to us, look, Jesus is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the king in which God has anointed. We as Christians need to understand this. A loving king has a right to make demands of the kingdom's citizens. Jesus demands our loyalty to him and his ways. So when Jesus actually, when he's going out to uh, ask the, tell his followers, hey, come follow me. He's basically saying, look, here's me, my ways. Take me or leave me. And we all have to make that choice. Is Jesus king or not? Are we going to follow and submit to King Jesus? Or are we going to reject him in his kingdom? And in fact, last week I was teaching the Sunday school class for the kiddos. And it was all about Jesus getting rejected in his hometown. So Jesus, what, what did Jesus do? He goes in, he preaches his message. And those, he didn't try to manipulate them or twist his message to get followers. He's like, no, this is what I'm teaching. Here's what's true. I have the authority. Oh, you don't want to believe? I move on to the next town. So Jesus doesn't try to manipulate anything. And I don't think we should either as followers of Jesus. So if we're going to, brothers and sisters in Christ, cultivate this gospel culture, we have got to understand, point blank this, Jesus is king. Jesus cannot be anything less than king. This is the point that Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, all of Paul's letters, the rest of the New Testament they always emphasize that Jesus is king. There is no other version of Jesus that's the real Jesus. The real Jesus is that God has anointed him to be king. And our devotion to him is utterly and fully necessary. And if we have an American distortion or some kind of other cultural distortion of a Jesus that sort of serves us and our needs, might want to look at the Jesus in, in, the, in the New Testament. That's not what we see there. Now, what does a gospel culture look like for us Christians today? Well, I think there's a very good example of this in the book of Acts. So in Acts chapter 2, at this point, so Jesus is already, he's risen from the dead, and he's already ascended to heaven to take, the throne at the right hand of God as king. All right? And at this point now, the spirit, God's spirit gets poured out upon the apostles and those who believed. And here's what Luke writes. He says this, And they, these new believers, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Meaning, what Jesus taught the apostles, the disciples, he's teaching these new believers. So, okay, so he devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship of breaking bread and prayers. And awe became upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed that Jesus is king were together, and they had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. 
And day by day, attending the temple together, or we would say today, church, coming together, and breaking bread in their homes, in their homes. They would gather together in their homes, even outside of here. And receive their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the number day by day to those who were being saved. Now just think about that. So sometimes we think if we want to, quote unquote, go change the world, transform the culture for Jesus, we think we have to go out and do something magical and radical. But what we see here is that you have these new believers in Christ. You know, they receive God's spirit, the Holy Spirit. Here's what they do. Let's gather together, take care of each other, love each other, love our neighbors. Hey, there's a need, physical needs, financial needs, emotional needs, and they all gather together. And they did this not only on our big corporate gatherings, but they also met each other in their homes. Just think about that. That's what gospel culture looks like. And it's and as simple as this. Those who are convinced that Jesus is king, they trust in him as their king. And when Jesus specifically says, hey, go take care of each other, you actually do it. Hey, go go take care of the poor. You go take care of the poor. Hey, you love your enemies. You actually go love your enemies. On paper, it seems so easy. But I think sometimes we lose sight in thinking that we have to do something different or otherly than what Jesus has aligned for us. The emphasis here, day by day, creating and cultivating a culture that is saturated with the gospel and it's all about Jesus is a day-by-day thing. Every thought, every emotion, every feeling, every action, every task, everything we do day-by-day. So parents, is, do you, how, would you, how would you rate your gospel culture in your home, your family. For those who've maybe been here a part of True North for maybe from the beginning, how would you rate, if you're honestly were to rate us, what would be our gospel culture rating? And if the worship team would sort of make their way up, I got a few more statements to say. But here's 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 sort of a plumb line point. Jesus is the main character of the gospel, not us. We've heard it over and over again that, hey, you know, God loves us and he has a great, wonderful plan for you. That's great. It's true. But how American does that sound? It might be all about me. But the gospel is 100% about Jesus. The gospel is the story of Jesus. The climax of God's story is the story of Jesus, that he is king. We are to be totally surrendered to King Jesus. King Jesus saves us because we have given our allegiance to him. Jesus cannot be anything less than king. Ever. This is, this is, this is basic what every single person, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those who knew Jesus, the Apostle Paul, they try to communicate. He is the one who's worthy of our worship. He's the one worthy of our allegiance. When we say we have faith in Jesus, that means give your life over to him 24-7. But thinking about this, about 
gospel culture. We have to know this gospel. That God, God the Father sends God the Son. God the Son taking on flesh, that is Jesus. Jesus being truly divine, truly human at the same time. He is the God-man. Jesus actually walked and talked, born in Bethlehem, lived and raised in Nazareth. Jesus of Nazareth walked and talked. He said profound things that no prophet, no teacher, no scribe of their time or ever, ever spoke. Completely different. He did things that were witnessed by individuals and groups, including non-Jews, in which they continue to testify. He's not just some dude. But this Jesus had to go on the cross so that he could die on the cross at the hands of sinners so that sinners could be forgiven of their sins. Buried, a.k.a. put in a tomb, rose from the dead. But that resurrection is not only that death was defeated and he's alive, but that resurrection means that afterwards he appeared to the disciples and then he left to take the throne at the right hand of God. So right now, not only is Jesus alive, he is king. And as a Christian today, I'm obedient to Jesus, not only because he's living, but because he's king. That's a big deal. Not only is he a king, he's a loving king. He's a gracious king. He's a merciful king. And yes, there is salvation for the faithful. Note, I said faithful, not the perfect. So church, join me in prayer. God, Father, Son, Spirit, thank you so much for this opportunity to preach the gospel and about gospel culture today. And I pray, Lord, that individuals, families, and even the whole church body has understands your gospel and what it means to follow you and that you are king. We cannot trust in anyone less than that. And I say all this in your name, Lord.